Well, we're back in the study of Abraham. Hopefully you remember we were in this a few weeks ago. We've missed a couple of weeks because of Christmas and Christmas uh, special service and so forth. Uh, so let's kind of review a little bit of where we've been and then kind of take it from there. What we have established so far is that God has set his purpose for us while still in eternity. God put a call upon us. God set a purpose for every person who trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, and he has that purpose set. Now, in time, God calls us to do the work that he has designed for us to do when he set it back in, in eternity. Now, as we think about that, what's the common response that people give when God makes that call to them? When, when God introduces himself to them and says, I've got a work for you to do, how do believers typically respond? Well, I'd like to say that every believer responds the same way that Eli instructed Samuel to respond, uh, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Or I'd like to think that every believer responds like Isaiah did when God presented his call to him, uh, here am I, send me. Uh, and many believers do respond that way, praise God for that. And then they set out on the course God has for them. But sadly, many believers also respond in a different way. Uh, why now, Lord? Or why me, Lord? Or why this, Lord? Uh, many believers see God's call as an interference to their lives, not as an opportunity, but as an interference. They see God complicating their lives by calling them to a particular work. They see God's call as an infringement on their personal freedom, on their right to make their own plans and do their own thing. So one of the common responses to God's call is resistance, for whatever reason. And so this evening, we're going to look at a couple of instances in Scripture where that was the response of a person who God called, and kind of see how God worked through that and how the person also worked through that. Uh, but before we do that, uh, as you remember, last time we were together, we gave you some questions on the back of your outline. Uh, I had hoped that maybe having all this time would give you lots of time to prepare yourself for that. It also gave you a whole lot of time to lose the paper altogether and not even remember we had questions. I get that as well. They're up here as well for you, so if you don't have your paper, the questions are also posted here on the screens for you. So I'm going to open it up at this time. Uh, if you would like to have a response to one of those questions, I'd love to hear. We'd like to hear how God is working uh, in your life as we go through this study. So pick a question if you'd like and let us know what you're thinking about them. Some brave soul going to break the ice? I got lots of time to wait. So. <laughs> yeah, Joyce, go ahead. Mm -hmm. What has God initiated in your life recently? Amen. That's okay. Amen. And that is a great work God is initiating. That God has pushed you to read through the Bible like Matt talked about. Uh, that is a great initiation that you can't lose from doing that. So thank you. appreciate that. Somebody else? Something that one of those questions jumped out at you you'd like to respond to? Joyce. Keep it rolling, Joyce. <laughs> mm -hmm. Missed opportunity. Oh, Merry Christmas, and she says, oh, like, 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That that is not an easy question for us to answer because we don't like to admit to the fact that we're missing opportunities. But we're the reality is, folks, we miss them. And the more we are aware of that, the more God will remind us and help us to catch them when they come. So I appreciate your candidness there and letting us know about that. Thank you. Yes. Somebody else. Come on. Jo- Joyce has done enough, folks. You've got you to give her a break now. Let somebody else. Yeah, Steve. Interesting. Interesting. Good job. That is a caught opportunity. That was not a missed opportunity. That was an opportunity God gave and Steve caught it. Good for you. Yeah. It's amazing how many folks who are believers who don't realize what all is in that book because they're just not in the book to find it out. So part of our job is to remind and reveal. Somebody else? Yes. Okay. And we need to use those missed opportunities as motivation to not miss opportunities. I mean, when we kind of process through them, as you folks have done, and realize the impact of that, it says to us we can keep need to keep our eyes open for all opportunities because it's lousy to miss one and realize you missed it, yeah, especially with those kind of consequences. Somebody else? Any other question you'd like to respond to? Yeah, Matt. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is typically how God does it. He typically reveals a need to you and then says, why not you? (laughs) What are you waiting for? Take care of this. I believe most missionaries that are called have that revealed to them. There's a need somewhere. And God says, look, there's a need. Why aren't you going to fill that need? 
and that's why they go. So um, sometimes, as Matt's, Pastor Matt says, it's a very simple thing. Just God says, here's the need. And that's dead, dead air until we do something about it. Good. Anybody else? David. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> yep. 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 Absolutely. Right. 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 Yeah. The value of walking in the Spirit is just that. As you walk in the Spirit, you you can't miss opportunities. If you're if you're truly surrendered to walking, He's going to reveal them to you you all the way along. Now, what we do with them that. Where, that's where the flesh gets involved. But if we're walking in the Spirit, you're going to know when they're there. No doubt about that. Yeah. Anybody else? It's good. I realize these questions are a little personal. They're intended to be personal. I think it's important for us as a group to be able to reveal ourselves and how to open up to each other and realize we all deal with the same stuff. And the reality of it is we, we have these conflicts, these, these struggles. It's good to know that we're all kind of in that same boat and can help each other kind of work through those. So that's what these questions are, are intended to do, even though, like I say, they get a little personal at times, a little tough to answer at times, but it's okay. We're, we're all friends here, at least. Hey, I hope. It's supposed to be, yeah, exactly. Uh, the wonderful thing about our God is this. He's not swayed by the crazy stuff we do. Uh, if anybody wants to, you know, respond to his call or do what he's called us to, uh, we may resist that call. We may see it and, and ignore it. God does not get upset by that. God does not pout about that. God does immediately remove his call from us when that happens. God patiently works with us and gets us back on track, gets past all of our silliness so that we can do the work that he's called us to do. And that's one of the great things about our God. It sounds odd, I realize, but that's one of the great things about him. He doesn't get swayed by all of our craziness. He just keeps plugging through, staying consistent with us, and keeps pushing us toward the work he wants us to do. Go to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Let's look at a couple of well-known people in the Word of God who kind of missed God's opportunity because of something they did or because of an attitude they took. In Exodus chapter 4, God has chosen Moses to be the one to lead his people out of Egypt. And so God comes to Moses, as you remember, in a spectacular way and makes his call known to him. He could not have missed the fact that God was calling him. I mean, there's this burning bush and God is speaking out of it. No way that he can miss that that's God's call. How does Moses respond? Look at verse 10 of Exodus chapter 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Moses' response is simply, I can't do it because I can't speak well enough to do it. I don't have the, the, the gift that I need to be, more, to be eloquent enough to do your work and, and to speak the way you want me to. God is calling Moses to a work that's going to be remembered for all of time. <laughs> And Moses resists and said, he's not up to it because he doesn't have the skills to do it. God didn't let that sway him. God persisted with Moses. If you read down through the rest of that chapter, you see God answers every protest that Moses gives him. And at the end of the time, Moses gets the call and does what God calls him to do. And God used him in a mighty way as a result of that. I'll go to Exodus 33. And you'll see the result of, of Moses finally saying yes because of God's persistence in working with him. Exodus chapter 33, look at verse 17. Remember now, Moses, Moses back in chapter 4 is saying, I can't do this. I'm not skilled to do it. 
uh, chapter 33, verse 17, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, look at it, and I know thee by name. <laughs> Here is this protesting servant who God worked with and worked with till he finally gave in, did the work, and became a man that God knew by name. That's how it works. God does not get swayed. God just persists, and the work gets done. Uh, look at First Chronicles chapter 22. First Chronicles chapter 22, David was chosen by God to be the king of Israel. And through that line, the Messiah would come. Yet I want you to see First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 7 and see how unqualified David was to do that work. Now look at verse 7 of First Chronicles chapter 22. It says there, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. What God is saying there is this, I would like to use you, but you've made some choices that have made it very difficult for me and interfered with what I want to do with you. And so I'm going to have to have your son do the work that I wanted you to do. But I want you to see that God did not move away from him. God did not simply reject him because of the choices he made. I'll go to the book of First Kings now, if you would. Keep on moving through. I'll go to First Kings and go to chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11. God says to David, I can't use you the way I wanted to with that particular work because you had made some choices that got in the way. However, First Kings chapter 11 and verse 38, this is God speaking to David again. And notice what he says here in First Kings chapter 11 and verse 38. And it shall be, if thou art hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. Now he's speaking not to David, but he's speaking about David, and in the process he says, I'm going to use you like I use David. So here's David making the wrong choices, David getting in the way of God's plan, and yet God stuck with him, and David gave in, and David made the right choices, and David became an example of the extent to which God will go to any, will use any person who wants to be used by him. There is nobody who is disqualified from God's use. Uh, anybody can be used. Let me give you the best example of all. Let's think about the nation of Israel. Go to the book of Jeremiah, if you would. Jeremiah. If there was ever a group of people who seemed to be unusable, it was the nation of Israel. I mean, just watch their history, read through their history, and you're going to see over and over the problems they created and the bad choices they made and so forth. How could God ever use them? Look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 30. Jeremiah 7.30. It says, For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. <laughs> Now, is that a people God could use? I mean, they are setting up idols in his house, and they're polluting his name by doing so. And yet, God says, I want to use you. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4. This is God now talking about Israel. Now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. 
Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. <laughs> I can't believe it's the same people as we talked about in the book of Jeremiah, but it's the exact same people. Because of the faithfulness of those whom God had called within that nation, God used them, and God is using them, and God will use them to accomplish the exact purpose that he set out for them. Now, those three examples are some of many that I could give you. I went through those three to give you hope. If you feel you can't be used by God, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous. Before God ever called us, before time, God saw the condition of our hearts. He saw our hearts as seeking to be dedicated to him and to be able to do his work. And so in the fullness of time, he matches his purpose with the desire and the inclination of our hearts. And that is never something that is done accidentally or casually or incidentally. It is something he does as he sees not the times when we wander. That's not what he's looking at. God is looking at the times when our hearts are right and our choices are right and we truly want to be used by him. Even though our choices can get in the way, as we saw with David, even though that happens, God can still use us. As we go through this study, what we're going to see is Moses was not a sin, rather Abraham was not a sinless man. You're aware of that. God, Abraham never made all the right choices. We have clear evidence in Scripture that was not the case. But at the same time, God observed the nature of Abraham's heart. God saw his heart, and God called him, and God set in motion the plan to have his purpose fulfilled through Abraham because of his heart. Not because of his wandering, not because of his excuses, because of his heart. Now, I used a phrase a minute ago that is really the focus of this message tonight, this study tonight. It's the phrase, the fullness of time. The fullness of time. God always does his work in the fullness of time, when the time is exactly right for his purpose to be fulfilled and his work to be accomplished. And that phrase comes right out of Scripture, I'm sure you're aware. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. The Bible says when the time was right, when the exact time was right, God sent to earth the Savior, his Son, Jesus Christ. God brought him to earth when the time was right. And he does his work through us when the time is right, when we are exactly ready to be used by him when the heart is right. In Abraham's case, uh, God had a crucial purpose to accomplish through him. God was looking for a man to place faith in him, whose walk with him would be everything that needed to be in order for God to fulfill his great plan of saving sinners from their sin by bringing the Messiah through that line of Abraham. He was looking for a man who would so believe in him that God could count it to him for righteousness. And God determined that, that the demonstration of faith would set a pattern for all who would come after him and who would place their faith in his son. So Abraham becomes that type, that model of what faith in God can do. And God uses him then uh, to be that example. That's what God was looking for. That's what God found in the faith of Abraham. And God worked through Abraham to shape that faith to its fullest. Abraham's life became an example of the kind of faith that is acceptable to God for righteousness. And we're going to look at that faith in a whole lot more detail as we go through this study. Because that faith that Abraham has is also fundamental to our relationship to God if we want to be used by him, both in time and in eternity. So, in this fullness of time, God's eternal purpose for Abraham was set up. And God allowed that, God set up that time, it was the right time, and God called him at that particular moment, at the fullness of time. God's eternal purpose for Abraham began with God using him to begin the establishment of a nation that was special to him and through which the Messiah would come. 
It was determined that the Messiah would come through Abraham and through his seed. And now God says the process must begin. The fullness of time has come. And so we need to build that nation from which that Messiah will come through. And so God developed that intimate faith in Abraham that he had in God. And through that, God developed it to the point where Abraham was usable from that. And from that people, from Abraham and his faithfulness, would come a nation that would become a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a peculiar people. I'm looking at him tonight. Through the faith of Abraham, you're sitting here this evening because he was that one who was faithful and the Messiah came and saved us as a result. The entire process began in the fullness of time through the life by the, by, of, of a man of faith by the name of Abraham. Now, all that said, let me stop for a minute. Maybe God is doing the same thing in somebody's life here tonight. Maybe God is doing that same thing with many people in this room tonight. Maybe God is doing that same kind of work in this church tonight. Maybe the fullness of time has come. I like what Pastor Matt says, and I agree with him. I think God has set us up for something this year. God placed us here for a purpose. I believe that with all my heart. Maybe this is the fullness of time. Maybe this is our time for this church to really do something that God has called us to do. Maybe God is stirring something in your heart tonight. Maybe God is stirring something in the heart of those in this church to do a work for him that he has planned for us in eternity. And maybe now is the fullness of time. Maybe the time has come. What God did with Abraham and what God did with the nation of Israel is not just a story, folks. It's not just some historical account that we read and then move on from. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. He talks about those things that occurred in the history of the nation of Israel. And here's what he says. Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. What's he saying? He's saying all those things that happened in the history of the nation of Israel, all those things that happened in those patriarchs of the past, they are all patterns for us to show us how God worked in the lives of his people. Everything God does in our lives, every opportunity he presents to us and to this church is done in the fullness of time. At just the right time, God makes it happen. He does those things when the time is exactly right for them to be done. Nothing in God's process of calling us or having us serve is accidental. There are no accidents in God's work. It's all planned and has been planned over the, since, since the beginning of time. In fact, before the beginning of time. Now, we have seen that over and over in the history of this ministry. I want to remind you of the most recent example of how God saw the fullness of time and made something happen with this church. Uh, back in June, a pastor called me that I had not talked to in about or even seen in 12 years. He wanted to get together, and he just said, well, let's get together for breakfast and just encourage one another in the ministry. He brought with him a senior pastor of the church where he was serving, a man I'd never met before, had never even heard of before. In the process of that breakfast, they mentioned in passing that there was a church building for sale. And the pastor that I knew said he thought that was just the right building for us. In spite of the stained glass, he thought it was just perfect for us. <laughs> in fact, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> And so step by step, God began to allow the events to occur that directed us to follow the path. And with us doing nothing more than following his lead and being obedient to his direction, God fulfilled his purpose by placing us in this place. But I want to make the point clear, folks. That's not a plan that God came up with in May and started the process in June. (laughs) That's not how it happened. That's a plan that God developed before time began. You are here tonight in this building because of a plan that started before Adam was ever on this earth. (laughs) It started way back then. It's mind-boggling to think about that, but that's the case. And I believe that is just an obvious example to us of how God works in our lives with every detail. 
We see things occur in our lives as big events and small events. That's not God's perspective at all. God sees every event as the next step in his eternal plan. Whatever God brings into your life is just the next step. Each step leads us on the path where his work can best be done through us. We have no idea whose lives are going to be affected, what our effect will, of our being here will have on eternity. Why God put us here, we may not know all of that. We have no idea the effect it's going to have. What we do know is this, that since it is God's plan for us to be here, there are going to be eternal results from us obeying and allowing him to lead us to this place. No matter what those are, we may never know all that they are. But there's going to be eternal results by us being here. So I'm going to take a minute and just talk about this whole idea of the fullness of time and look at three examples of how God does things at just the right time. When God came to Moses, we talked about it a minute ago. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what the Bible tells us. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God heard the cry of his people. God already heard that cry. And he acted decisively in response to that cry by calling Moses to lead his people out. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10, God says to Moses, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God heard the cry, the fullness of time arrived, and God calls Moses, and God sends Moses into that place, and Moses leads his children out. It was in the fullness of God's time to rescue his people out of that land of Egypt. And therefore, it was the fullness of time to call Moses to that work. God's timing was perfect at that time. Uh, There was a time that came. I want you to turn to the book of Amos, if you would. Go to the book of Amos. There came a time when God wanted to put judgment upon his people because of all their wickedness. And that time came more than once in their history. But at this particular time, God decides it's time to, to punish them for their wickedness. And so God uses a man by the name of Amos to deliver the message of judgment. Look at Amos chapter 7. And I'll give you a minute to get there. I know those are the sticky pages of the Bible. We don't get there a lot. Uh, But Amos chapter 7. When you get there, look at verse 14. Because I want you to see Amos' perspective on this thing. God calls him to deliver this message. Here's Amos' perspective on God's call. Look in verse 14. He says, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. I had no training in this whatsoever. Have you heard folks say you've got to be trained to do God's work? You've got to go to Bible school to do God's work? Uh, that's not Bible in any way, shape, or form. Look at what Amos says here. I was not no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. I had no prophet in my lineage whatsoever. What was he? I was a herdman. I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He was a farmer. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Here's this poor fellow out in the field taking care of his herd. And God calls him and says, Amos, I want you to take a message of judgment to my people. You know why that happened? Because it was the fullness of time. God said, now is the time for this message to be delivered. Now is the time for Israel to hear this message. And therefore, now is the time for me to call this fellow, this farmer, out of the field and get him to deliver that message. It was God's fullness of time for Israel. It was God's fullness of time for Amos as well. Now go to the book of Acts, if you would. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. I like this one. This is a good one. Acts chapter 12. I'm sorry, Acts 26. Acts 26. Verse 12. <clears throat> Acts 26, 12. 
This should make every one of us rejoice as you watch the fullness of time in this particular calling. Uh, Look at Acts 26, verse 12. This is Paul speaking now. And he said, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. (laughs) There it is. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, whose eyes? The Gentiles' eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among, uh, among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, to Sabaka, that they should do, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. <laughs> you know what that is, folks? That is the fullness of time for Saul. God says, Saul, I've got a work for you to do, and now's the time for you to do it. And you know why that was? Because of the group of people, the Gentiles, who had not yet heard the gospel. And the Jews had rejected, and God said, okay, now it's the fullness of time for the Gentiles, and because it's the fullness of time for the Gentiles, it's the fullness of time for Saul, who later became Paul. And Paul became that one who delivered the message of salvation to the Gentiles. And because of that, you and I are saved today, (laughs) because of that fullness of time. Because God saw the need and God called the man in the fullness of time at just the right time. And because of that, I am on my way to heaven and you are as well. God came to Paul at just the right time. And like what Paul says here, he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Had he been disobedient, God would have found somebody else. Paul would have missed his chance. However, because he was obedient, you and I have the gospel. Think of how many souls have been saved because Paul was not disobedient to the vision. Thousands and I mean, hundreds of millions of people have been saved because Paul obeyed what God told him to do. God uses those who are obedient to what he calls them to do when the fullness of time comes and his purpose needs to be settled. And God uses people who will do obey him no matter how disruptive to their lives it may be. And so God enters our lives in just the same way. It comes time for God's purpose to be fulfilled. And it comes seeking to, if we will be the ones to fulfill that purpose, obey his call and make it happen. And by the way, it may not be as spectacular as what we just read here a few minutes ago. It may not be as life changing as it was in the lives we just considered. It's not necessarily God calling you and sending a blinding light from the sky and knocking you on your face. It's not necessarily calling uh, you to go to an entire group of people with a message that he has for them. But that also does not mean that his call upon your life has any less consequence than it did on their lives. If God calls us to work, folks, it's God's work. If God calls us to work, it is God's work. And anything that is God's work, by that very definition, is spectacular and life-changing because it's God's work. It's God's work. It may simply be that the fullness of time has come for your neighbor 
or for your boss, or for your cousin, or for your uncle, or for some clerk at a store to hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The fullness of time has come for them, and God calls you in the fullness of time to make that happen. It may be the fullness of time for you to begin to teach a class of young people what God has done for them and what God wants to do through them. It may be the fullness of time for you to surrender to that call. It may be the fullness of time for that Christian brother to be encouraged or strengthened by something you might do, by you speaking words of comfort and hope to them. It may be, not be his fullness of time to send you across the, the sea to a nation of people who need to hear. It may be, but maybe not. It may be God's fullness of time to send you as a missionary across the street or across the desk or across the dinner table, some other place. And by each of us responding to God's fullness of time, God's purpose is accomplished. Amen. By us obeying, God's work is done. And those who needed the presence of God in their lives, that has been accomplished by those who are simply willing to be obedient to what God called them to do. Amen. I want to make this point again, folks, and I don't want you just to hear it. I want it to you absorb it. I want this to stick in your brain so you never lose it. There are no large works and small works when it comes to God's work. There aren't big works and little works, large works and small works when it comes to God's work. There are no works that God really takes note of and then works that God doesn't pay much attention to. There are no lives that God pays a great deal of attention to and then lives he involves himself if he has time and thinks about doing it. We really need to get this idea out of our minds. And I think it's pervasive across Christianity that there are first class Christians and then there are second and third class Christians. <laughs> like this hierarchy of Christians. That is simply not the case. We need to remove from our minds the fact that God does great works with some and ordinary works with others. The church that I grew up in was part of a fellowship of churches that worked together and shared efforts and so forth. And that fellowship contained a, large, a number of large churches with well-known pastors in, that church, in those churches. Each month that fellowship produced a magazine. And that magazine emphasized what the churches in that fellowship were doing over the past month. And so as you read through that magazine, uh, you would read of, of a church that had a revival meeting and of hundreds and even thousands of people who attended those revivals. You'd read of some building project that a church was doing, how many square feet they were adding to, how much it cost them to do it, what kind of uh, magnitude of the project they were, they were endeavoring to, to accomplish. You could read of a special missions offering that some church took and how, how many thousands of dollars were given to missions as a result of that, result of that offering. You'd read of, of a meeting that some pastor had, how many hundreds of people came forward to trust Jesus Christ in those meetings. Now, I understand the purpose behind those reports. I praise God for every work that was accomplished uh, through those people that were involved in those, in those works. But in that fellowship, there were also a number of small churches. And they were churches that couldn't accomplish what those large churches were accomplishing. There were pastors in those smaller churches who didn't have the budget or the opportunity to do what those other churches were doing. And what that magazine implied, whether it was intended or not, and I really don't think it was intended, what it implied was the real work was doing, being done by the large churches, the well-financed churches, and the other churches were just kind of doing God's work as they could. But here's what I know. I know in God's eyes, if people are being obedient to his call, and if God's work was being done, the magnitude of the work was immaterial, had nothing to do with it. If people were being obedient to God's call, and God's work was being done, and one soul was saved as a result, it was as great as a thousand souls being saved. Amen. If one mission, mission offer was taken, and the people were being obedient to God and gave sacrificially, it didn't matter if $100 was gathered or $10,000 was gathered. If it was God's work, it was all God's work, and God was in all of it. Amen. I don't want you to ever feel like, because you're in a small church, you're second class. That is not the case. Amen. That is not the case. 
God does great work with all churches if the church, uh, the people of that church are being obedient to what he's called them to do. doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter whatsoever. <laughs> God uses obedient people to do his work no matter what size of the work that it is. Now, we need to keep that in mind because I'm going to tell you what. some point, God either will or maybe God already has, and he will intrude upon your life. He'll show up. Just as he did with Paul, maybe not as spectacular as he did with Paul, but he's going to confront you at some point in time. The fullness of time is going to arrive, and a work of God will need to be done. And God will have determined before the foundation of the world that you are the best one to do the work. And you can be Moses all you want to, and it doesn't make any difference. God has called you to do it. God's called you. He wants you to do it. You're the best one to do it. So just as he called Moses... And just as he called Amos, and just as he called Saul, he will also call you. Straight across the board, all the same call. Now, the work may not be to lead a nation out of captivity. It may not be to pronounce judgment upon a group of people. It may not be to be a witness to a race of people who have never heard. But the fullness of time for your work is just as genuine and just as necessary and just as important as any work you read about in the Word of God. Just as important, just as necessary. God called you just like he called Moses, just like he called Amos, just like he called Saul. It's the same thing. And the requirement for us to get that work done is the same requirement that was placed upon Moses or Amos or Saul. The requirement is our hearts must be ready to respond when the call comes. Just be ready to respond. So before we continue in this study in the weeks ahead, if you really want to gain what God wants us to learn from this, we've got to answer some questions. I put these on your outline tonight, so you can look at them now, and you can hopefully go over them through the week. These are not the questions to answer for next week. These are just questions for us to kind of uh, ponder as we consider this whole idea of God's fullness of time and God's call upon us. Here's the question. Uh, Are we expecting God's fullness of time in our lives? Do you expect at some point in time the time will arrive and God's going to call you to a particular work? Do you believe that? And what I mean by that is this. Do you believe God has a chosen purpose for you? And are you ready to do it when he decides the time is right? I'll take it a step further. Are we recognizing the invitations that God gives us when he presents them to us? Do you recognize when it happens? Do you realize that God, when God invites you to a work, that that is God inviting you to a work? Or are we so caught up in other things? Are we so sure God would never call us to do anything that anything like that, that we miss the invitation when he presents it. I'm going to tell you one more time, folks. Every person in this room and every person listening has a call upon them from God before eternity began. God has something for you to do, a particular call for you. And when the fullness of time comes, and probably more than one thing, by the way, not just one, probably many things he's called you to do. And when the fullness of time comes, he's going to invite you to that work. Will you be ready to hear it when it happens? Are you even looking for it when it comes? God may have a purpose for us, and the time may be right, but the problem is we missed it because we weren't expecting it. And so it passes us by when it it shows up. Now, how you answer those questions is going to determine your answer to the next question. Here's the question. Do we need to get alone somewhere with God, just by ourselves somewhere, and ask him if there is something that he's been asking us to do and we've missed it? I hope sometime before next Thursday you'll do that. I hope sometime before next Thursday, you'll get alone by yourself and say, okay, Lord, I know there's a work for me. Have I missed what you've called me to do? 
Are you calling me? Are you presenting it to me? And I'm not hearing it. And maybe what we need to do is make a firm and immediate commitment to him that by faith we will respond immediately and in complete obedience to anything he asks us to do. That's the commitment of this church if we're going to do the work God's called us to. That is the commitment of every individual if we're going to do work that God's called us to do. We will by faith respond immediately and completely in obedience to anything he asks us to do. Anything. And if we need to get alone by ourselves and do that, I wonder if that's all done, if we'll get up from that moment with open our, and God, allow God to open our eyes and let us see what it is he wants us to do. And then I wonder if we will let him lead us and if we'll watch him accomplish his work through us, whatever that is, as he leads us through that work. Because that's what he wants to do. Folks, God wants to use us. Amen. God wants to use us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put that call upon us before eternity began. He would never have done that. We need to recognize that whatever he calls us to, and no matter what the dimensions of that work may be, it's a great work because it's God's work. It's a great work because it's God's work. If you lead a child to Christ, that's God's work. That's a great work. If you mop floors and it's God's work, it's a great work. No matter what it is, folks, if God has called you to it and it's God's purpose for you at that particular moment and you do it, you've done a great work because that's God's work being done. And we're going to see in the weeks ahead how God did this in the life of Abraham. And my hope is as we see this happen, it's going to encourage us to live lives of faith and obedience, waiting expectantly for his call to come to us. And if we will do that, folks, God will be honored and God's work will be done in the lives of others. And our lives are going to count both in time and eternity. You want your life to count? Open your eyes. Talking to myself as well. Open your eyes and wait for God's call. And then do it. And God will do a great work through you as a result.